wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and I'm on board. Mm. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room. Hello. Welcome to She Became Visible. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Today is September, I believe it is the 19th. Yes, it is. And guess what? I am not going to be talking to you tonight about Tim Ballard. I'm not going to be talking to you tonight about Ruby Frankie. I want to, I may in the future, in the next couple of days, but I'm not going to today. And I think probably you have been inundated with Tim Ballard's story. So you really don't need for me to give you my take on it. Um, I did do a TikTok and I did mention uh, Tim Ballard in my TikTok. And I mentioned that um, it's very discouraging for me to see the ability that he had to win over the hearts of people and to use his white male privilege to get where he was and do the contacts that he needs to do. Um, it's very interesting. I, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know whether this is just, you know how you watch YouTube and once you're through with one, it'll, it'll continue on to whatever you have next in your lineup. And so suddenly I'm getting all of these pro Tim Ballard interviews from, um, um, religious organizations that have done interviews with him where they're still claiming that there's a huge left-wing conspiracy theory out there trying to take him down. Regardless, anyway, we're not going to talk about that. What I'm going to, to do today is to show you um, uh, the, another podcast that I did uh, with Stephen Pinecker. How many of you have um, watched one of Stephen's podcasts, the Mormon Book Reviews? Uh, he interviewed me and with his um, cohort, Rebecca Bibliotech, uh, and uh, she and Stephen interviewed me because Stephen, I love his podcast. He, you know, he says that he is, uh, Stephen Pinecker is the host of Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. And he really wants to present all kinds of people and different perspectives and so many different areas on his podcast. He also, he and Rebecca both want to promote other people's podcasts. And I think that is fabulous. So they invited me on, we met at Sunstone and he, he and Rebecca invited me on to do an interview with them. And I was so honored to be on their show. So that is what I'm going to be sharing with you tonight. 
um, is my collaboration with the Mormon Book Review. So I will no longer talk and let's go immediately to that. And you may listen and we'll talk a little bit afterwards. How does that sound? Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Pinecker, and this is a special Mormon Media Reviews episode in which we engage other podcasters, and therefore we have Rebecca Biblioteca in the house. How are you doing today? Oh, fabulous. I love it when it's an MMR day. That's my favorite. Those are always the best. And what is also the best is our guest, Renee Steelman of She Became Visible Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing so well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, you know, I was really a real privilege. We were just talking off camera about um, connecting at uh, Sunstone Symposium and uh, got to know you. We, we actually did Sunday brunch together uh, and it was just really great. <clears throat> and you know, I almost, I came this close to not coming, which I am so glad that I did because I think the Sunstone audience is my audience. The people that go to Sunstone are very diverse you have TBMs sitting with uh, fundamentalists and transgender people and church employees all at the same table talking. And I think it's like one of the coolest conferences in the, the in, in Mormonism, period. Uh, what do you think, Renee? You know, you're absolutely right. And one of the other things that I love about it is because of the theme and the motto where, you know, there are more than one way to Mormon yep. and or something like that. Um, it really brings down the divisive, the divisiveness um, and it really reminds people to uh, listen to other people and to be accommodating. And so there's a different vibe at Sunstone. You don't get as much, you know, as you get at some of the other community activities for ex-Mormons. Um, and everyone is just on their best behavior uh, with allowances, as you said, for, you know, diverse opinions and beliefs and and it, and it, I, I, this was my third year. So the, the last two years have been COVID-y, ex-COVID-y. And then this year was like, go for it. And so it was, it was amazing. Yeah. It really was. And, and, and Rebecca, now this was actually the first time you've actually attended Sunstone. So maybe just talk a little bit about your experience with that. Yeah, it was the first time, like, like Renee said, COVID and then some other things. So this year I was like, I am going, I put it on my calendar very early and, and I felt like, um, I mean, it was just, there was so much energy. Didn't you find like everybody was so invigorated with what we were discussing and what we were hearing. And it really made me, it made me think of your motto, Steve, all voices of the restoration. It really was that. I mean, I'm a post-Mormon. And like you said, I'm there having wonderful discussions with active Mormons, fundamentalist Mormons. I'm going to different lectures on different topics and different views from the restoration. And people were handing me books. That was my favorite part. Like, like several people handed me books, asked if they could come on my podcast, Mormonish. It was just this synergy that was going on. And, and there were discussions, there was passion in what was being discussed. And it really did make me think of your motto, all the voices. I think we saw it there in action, which was really exciting. And really that that's what was the impetus for this is that we got together and I think we were, we were having brunch together and we all just said, Hey, let's just schedule this interview and have Renee come on to talk about her podcast. And it was just, uh, I'm glad that this all happened. So thanks Sunstone for helping make this all happen. Thank you, Lindsay Hansen Park and all the wonderful people over at the Sunstone Symposium. You're awesome. Love you. And I've got a lifelong invitation every year to be the umpire between the, uh, the kickball game between the fundamentalists and the ex-Mormons. So 
I'll be there next year. So look for look for me. And uh, <clears throat> and I will take bribes, just so you know. I will take bribes, just so you know. I'm a desperate man. So, <laughs> Renee, I, one of the reasons we want to have you come on is we wanted to kind of get to know you a little better. And here you are, somebody who's raised, you know, your LDS and everything like that. And then you decide to start a podcast. You, But before we get to the podcast, I just want you to tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. I appreciate this opportunity because, you know, um, as I mentioned right now, um, I'm post Dan McClellan's uh, Mormon stories, and I'm just on a high with everything that he had to share. But one of the things that he said was he joined the church as an adult. So he didn't have a lot of the indoctrination that you you would get as a born in the whatever. And I as well was was raised Methodist. My grandmother was very active in the Masonic temple. My grandfather and she all had, they had the jewelry. They went to Masonic, Masonic temple was right across the street from the apartment that they lived in, in Illinois, right near you, Steve. I grew up in um, Morris, Illinois, which is just about 45 minutes South of Chicago. And um, I had an uncle that was in World War II. He was considering becoming a priest. Um, my family was very, we said grace over, you know, bless, O Lord, this food to our use and us to thy service. And, and I said my prayers every night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I had a picture of Jesus in my bedroom and we went to church for, on Christmas and Easter. And so I was, you know, I was very, very uh, religious. Um, and my, I have a few aunts and uncles that kind of went through, am I Methodist? Am I Lutheran? Nobody cared. Nobody cared. But I did have the oldest of my mother's family. She was, she is the oldest of, of eight children in my mother's family. And she had joined the church. And I don't remember when she joined. Oh, turn that off. And, um, and she joined uh, by herself. Her husband was not a member. Her two children were baptized simply because, you know, my aunt insisted on it. But my uncle was like, whatever, do whatever you want. Um, and but and I remember going and staying with my aunt, but there was never any missionary talk or, you know, at, at reunions or Father's Day or Mother's Day, we got together with the whole family. I don't remember any religion being spoken of. Uh, so Aunt Marilyn kept her religion to herself. Um, and so when the missionaries came knocking on our door in uh, Aurora, Illinois, where we were living, my mother was familiar with the church and was looking for a religion. I remember my brother and I, she was investigating different religions. She said, hey, what do you, what do you kids think about uh, Catholicism? And, you know, at 12 years old, I remember going, I don't think I want to do that, you know, and I didn't have anything to back that up with. But um, so the Mormons came a knocking. And I had a fabulous um, stepfather who was British. And, you know, the stereotypical British uh, mindset is we don't like contention. So if my mother wants to join the church, all right, I'll join the church. And um, so we joined the church. I joined the church at 12, got put right into primary, uh, the end of primary. So at 12 years old, suddenly I'm, um, I'm, uh, I can't believe this. I think that's my doorbell. No, it's okay. This is crazy. Um, what time is it? 927. Why would it be my doorbell? I don't know. Anyway, um, so she, uh, I can't remember. Oh, anyway, so at 12 years old, I'm like, 
uh, name the offices of the priesthood, crochet a purse, uh, memorize the articles of faith. And I'm like, what's a Nephite again? Who, who, you know, because we lived in Illinois, we all of a sudden, all of our vacations were Nauvoo, uh, the Hillcora pageant, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then my mother eventually baptized one of her sisters and one of her brothers. And the other members of the family actually ended up totally ostracizing her and cut off communication for over 40 years because my mother would not stop proselyting. She would not shut up. And even her closest sister that I have so many great memories of because they were really close. She finally just said, I can't do this anymore. Please stop telling us about your religion. And my mom was like, no, this is my job and my duty. So I, we lost communication with this fabulous, these aunts and uncles and cousins over this religion. But, cool. you know, regardless, I... Um, Let me ask you about that. Yeah. I think that she might have, like, suffered from religious scrupulosity. Um, it seems like it was almost an obsessive thing to try to convert people all the time. No, she suffers with a narcissism. Oh. And so she, what she was was elite now. She had the truth. And she was better than everyone else. And if she could baptize more people, that made her look even better. And so it was all a matter of, look look at what I did. I baptized my whole family. Look what I did. I brought in this neighbor. It was all in, it was all, look, look at me and what I can do because I am now a member of the true church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So uh, yeah, she was far from scrupulous scrupulosity you know um she definitely i mean she reads her deseret book authorized books um so it's very biased but that's as far as her you know religious studies go and do you ever reconnect with family i'm always so curious about that because in my family it's the same my mom was disowned by her family did you ever reconnect with those wonderful people very oddly a number of years ago i can't remember it's been it's been over 15 years ago my cousin my oldest cousin got all these, the left sister, the sisters that were still alive, she got these five sisters together and said, this is crazy. We've got to get together. And she organized a, a mother daughter get together. And, um, and so it kind of resolved and they got, they kind of got together, but even then my mother and her youngest, the, my mother was number seven. And then the, the aunt that was number eight, they continued a relationship. But even then my aunt would say, you know what, if you would just stop talking about the church, I would really appreciate it. And my mom, I remember we came out here to Utah for one of the gatherings and my mom said, let's drive past Temple Square and maybe we can just kind of get in on the temple grounds and like, just, you know, we'll just say, oh, we're just, let's, you know, do you want to just go see the temple grounds? And then we could get her into, I mean, this whole world, you know, army, like there was this army plan, right? Um, and I kept saying, mom, she's asked you not to do that. And you've just renewed a relationship. She's like, yeah, she won't know. I mean, we'll just, you know, we'll take her in the visitor center and she t- take her to the, the Christus statue. And, you know, maybe that'll spark. I mean, just constant. It just never quit. So even, even, uh, even afterwards, uh, they kind of pushed, she just wouldn't stop, but it, it, it allowed me to reconnect with my aunts. And that was beautiful. And my cousins. And so, you know, for that, it was worth it. 
Yeah. But anyway, Steve, so I was, but I'm a very kind of, um, what are we doing today type person? And so I, and I didn't, I never had a negative. I never had a bad experience with a bishop. Mm -hmm. I never had a bad experience with, um, uh, any, anything. I mean, I was raised in the Camelot eras here. So David O'McKay was the prophet and we had road show and we had dance festival. And, and when I was involved in dance festival, living in Illinois, we flew from Illinois to the university of Utah, stayed in the dorms and performed on the football field of university. I mean, it was like, and the whole thing was it rained and then everybody prayed and then the clouds parted just over the University of Utah football field long enough to uh, us to perform the dance festival. But it was it was out of this world experiences, roadshow, traveling to Indiana for youth conference and traveling to Indiana for roadshows. And so everything about the church was community. It was all about the youth program for me. So I, I did not have anything you know negative. And I met my husband at a dance, a youth dance, and he was getting ready to leave for his mission. And I was getting ready to go active duty into the military. So we said, dang, we both made commitments we can't get out of. So as much as we'd like to get married, we have to wait two years. And so he went on his mission. I went into the Navy. And we wrote back and forth and I planned our wedding while he was gone. We dated for uh, July, August, September, October. So we dated for like four months. And then, um, and we got married three weeks after he came home from his mission in the Salt Lake Temple. And I, I mentioned this on one of my TikToks. I had a girlfriend for some reason, she felt that it was her duty to tell me every single thing that was gonna happen in the temple. and. Uh, you know, and that's a no-no, right, Rebecca? I mean, that's like, Back we don't- then, yes, it was. But yep, she absolutely. told me everything. So I got in, oh, this is that part where you get naked. Yeah. And and I was like, yeah, well, that's what she told me. So I, I expected it. So it wasn't a shock. Yeah. Plus the other, the other thing that I said was, I'm a little dramatic. Halloween is my favorite holiday. And so dress me up in a costume and give me a woo-woo ritual. And I'm like, this is the funnest you thing. You loved it. I loved it. It was like Halloween. It's like, well, and you knew what to expect, you know, and that's different. I mean, I always talk about how I knew nothing. I mean, I was terrified, petrified, PTSD, still traumatized today, just because I don't like to do anything unless I know what to expect. So I admire your girlfriend. That was very kind Absolutely. of her to do that for you. And yeah. I'm sorry that she's, you know, going to go to hell for that, but it helped me a lot, you know, but I, and the whole idea that you're doing what you're supposed to do, I've met my return missionary. Plus I was, you know, um, what, 20 at the time. And so I'm in love and I'm like going to get married and we're going to go back to Japan. And I had rented a little house off base. So we had tatami mats and, and um, I was going to do his laundry and, you know, I'm going to be subject to his priesthood and I'm great with that and you know it was just youth naivety that was like I love all this and then he was put in the branch presidency at 22 and or 21 a little over 21 um and so what have I married oh my gosh this young return missionary is sitting up on the stand in the branch presidency with these two older guys and you know so and it, that 
that was the beginning of me sitting by myself in the pews. It took me a long time to go, I don't know how I feel about this. So anyway, Steve, I had a fabulous, a fabulous until I got older and my uh, frontal cortex matured a little bit. And I started going, wait a minute, what, you know, and the temple was probably my first kind of aha experience when I just said, I am not bowing my head to obey you. I don't know why I can't talk to God myself. You don't need to talk to God for me. I'm not doing this anymore. And I even, Steve, I even, um, and you may have heard this before, Rebecca, I actually became a temple worker because I, I hated the temple ceremony so much, but I wanted to be obedient and attend the temple weekly. So I, I became a temple worker because when you're a worker, <clears throat> excuse me, you go from different areas. Oh, you're going to go in the celestial room and stand there and monitor people for a while, <clears throat> or you're going to go and work in initiatory for a few, you know, for a half hour, an hour. So I was never in one place. And when I was in the endowment ceremony, I was there as a watch watchman. I was there to make sure that everybody tied their robes and put their things on correctly. So I didn't have to listen or bow my head to do anything. And it was more of a community thing. It was a social experience. Me and the other women made some great friends. Um, but even that, when they finally changed the temple ceremony in 2018 or 19, I went back to see the difference. And I sat there and went, nice try, but I'm sorry. Now, now we're in you know, a new movie. They had dropped a lot of the misogynist things that I had fought against. Uh, but it was still, I sat there and thought, are we in Hawaii now? What, why are we weaving baskets with palm trees? What, what is this new movie? This is insane. This is, this is ridiculous, you know? And I just came out and I told my husband, I said, I'm never going back. And, and so then COVID hit and I don't know where the heck I heard about Mormon stories, <laughs> but I had heard about the CES letter and I downloaded it and I read it. And honestly, I was like, I don't, that's not that big a deal. So there's a horse and a taper and a steel sword. And that's just whatever. The message in the Book of Mormon is still good. It's still true. <clears throat> These are just weird translations. And it, so it didn't bother me. But what bothered me was I listened to John DeLynn's interview with Gregory Prince, who is an active Mormon. And I read his book, The Biography of David O. McKay, who was the prophet when we joined the church. And that's what did it because I saw the sausage. He was very clear on how the sausage is made, how the patriarchy works, how the hierarchy works, how men are forgiven and pushed aside for bad behavior, um, how they don't release men, that are not following the gospel principles. They just move them to Germany for a while. It's like, we can't shut Ezra Taft Benson up. So we'll send him to Germany and hopefully he'll stop all this communist crap. And instead of just saying, look, we've asked you to stop. We're gonna release you from your calling. Um, you're too far out for us. They have to keep these men. And I saw just the lies and the dishonesty and the hierarchy and the patriarchy. And I think my, my contextual, the activity that was going on in my life, I have six children. 
As I mentioned, my husband has always been in positions of authority. So I have always taken these six children to church by myself. Our youngest son was extremely disabled. Um, he had a severe cerebral palsy and brain damage. Um, he was cortically blind. Um, he had no use of, he was, um, um, I can't remember the term now, but uh, all four, you know, quadriplegic, basically. Uh, he had no control over any of his limbs. Um, he was completely dependent on a caregiver. And so I remember, and I, I think this was a big crack when he was, uh, I was pregnant and we moved to a house in Northeast Portland and I had a miscarriage and uh, my husband was immediately called into the stake presidency. Um, I came home from the hospital and was recuperating upstairs and the stake presidency came over to interview him for this calling. And it was like, oh, tell us a little bit about your family. And well, my wife, you know, just had a miscarriage. We have five children and it's like, that's great. So uh, brother Stillman, when can you start? And then I got pregnant again, way too early after a miscarriage. And my son was born. He had birth, you know, I had problem. I, I was hemorrhaging. I was having, you know, uh, birth problems, emergency cesarean. I'm at one hospital. My son uh, was taken up to Oregon Health Science and uh, had to have immediate surgery. And my husband never missed a meeting never missed a meeting within the high council, never missed a Sunday when he had to go visit other wards. No one from the stake presidency was concerned about the fact that we had five children at home. I was visiting my son in the hospital every day. <clears throat> Nobody was asking if they could care for my five children. Who's taking care of your children while, while your wife is visiting your brand new baby? Uh, can we come up and give the baby a blessing? Uh, there was nothing, nothing. Uh, no Relief Society bringing in dinners, um, and I say, I, I don't know for sure, but my husband is very independent and there may have been people that have said, can we bring in dinners? And he said, no, we're a self-reliant family. We can take care of ourselves. And that's why I saw nothing. Um, I also know that we were living in a, um, an urban ward. We were downtown Portland. It was a, the, this ward had a lot of problems. I was young women's, I was the Laurel advisor in the young women's program, uh, most of my young women had home problems at home, uh, just a father who wasn't supporting his 10 children, a young, one of my young girls was pregnant and was waiting to deliver her baby and hand it over to LDS services. A um, lot of problems in that ward, and that could have contributed a lot to it too. But that's when I really started to say, wait a minute here, I'm carrying this load and you uh, are just bathing in your white male power with your priesthood and your um privilege and just and about, about how old were you at this point when i was 32 okay all right so and our children are my oldest child was nine and and, and 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 when he was born and that really and it became that was the thing from that point on i'm taking six children to church one of them with oxygen you know one of them you know ADHD running all over the chapel. And, and I remember one time sitting out in the foyer and I've got my baby out. I don't know where the other five were. And I've got my baby out there with the oxygen tank. And this man came out of the chapel and he goes, oh, come on. It can't be that bad. Let's just have a little smile. And I was like, mm. I think if I could kill you with some kind of visual power, you would be just ashes right now, you know, but that it really, that really became an issue 
And I started to really recognize the patriarchy as an older woman with uh, babies that I loved. I had no problem having children. That was my goal. I love babies. I would have had 10 if we wouldn't have you know, had one with such severe medical issues. But I just began to realize that this patriarchy was not just one man you know, from Idaho. It was a policy. It was a doctrine. And so once I read Greg Prince's book, and then I read um, Greg Prince's next book about gays and the Mormons and the Prop 8 and what happened with Prop 8, and that just sent me down the rabbit hole. And I just started absorbing everything and reading everything and realizing that I'd been lied to and that this patriarchy was very convenient for men and that there, there were women carrying the water for the patriarchy, like me as a, a young woman who believed it. And uh, we went along with it. And so I started my podcast about two and a half years ago called She Became Visible. And my idea was to recognize and highlight women who had stood up as I had and said, I'm not doing this anymore. I have a life. I have a, I am a, a whole person, you know, individually, I have talents. I have desires. I have wishes. I have goals. I have um, faith and I want to be recognized for all of those. And I am not just your chattel. I'm not anyone's property and I'm not here to be your, you know, maidservant, your handmaiden. Um, and so I, I try, <laughs> I might be changing, but I'm trying to have it be a women only podcast where I only interview women, but honestly, in my demographic, I'm, you know, in my late sixties, it's hard to find women who are not still carrying water for the patriarchy and who are feel free and comfortable enough to actually voice their story. Uh, it's not an easy thing. Even women that have left the church that are in a mixed faith marriage, like I am, would not feel comfortable being as honest and open as I can be because I have a wonderful man for a husband who accepts and he recognizes where his um, belief kind of went. He said, I know I should have asked to be released. I should have been there for okay. you. Okay. So this is, a, so I met your husband. So we're talking about the same person. Same guy. Yeah. Okay. So this is really fascinating. So, and I want to get back to the podcast, but I think there's a lot of evolution that was going on in your life, yeah. both for you. So you're in your thirties, you're, you realize like, Hey, I don't, I, I'm not digging this anymore. And then later on, if just a few years ago, you kind of, you really, by the way, I've met, I've talked to Greg Prince. I met him at Mormon history association. He'll be coming on my program at some point. But, oh. um, yeah. And did that David O. McKay book folks. It's an excellent book. Oh, oh my God. It is so fantastic. Yeah. So I, I I recommend it to everybody. Everybody. It's it's really an amazing book. I, I love every page of that thing. But uh, but I, I'm just really fascinated because of course here you are, you're in your early 30s and you're raising these kids. You've got a husband that's uh you know enjoying the role that he has. He's it, right. that's he's he likes it, obviously. Uh yeah. and, and and it almost feels like your family's secondary to his calling. It, it appears that, that was kind of like the the dynamic there. Let's just talk a little bit about how that evolved to where now I meet this guy and have Sunday brunch with him. And he seems like this really cool laid back dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, I've only been resigned. I resigned my membership a little over two years ago. Okay. And I, when I was doing all of this investigating rabbit hole stuff, 
<clears throat> I didn't tell my husband. It, my story is a lot like Alan Mounts. It's like, I'm going to read this, but I'm not, I'm not leaving the church. Joseph Smith, like you guys are crazy, but Joseph Smith was a prophet and the book of Mormon is still true. And that's where I started down the thing. And I was ready to just, you know, castigate these misogynistic men, but I knew the church was still true. That's where I kind of started. Um, but as I got closer and closer to the reality that this was, this was not a true gospel, that this was just a made up man's uh, club then I I put into I put my resignation papers in, and I thought from everything I had seen online, I had kind of uh, well, it's going to take a long time. Yeah, this could be three months before you hear back. So I was like, this will give me time to tell them what I'm doing, but it didn't take that long. It only took a month, and for some, the the bishop got a letter, as well as when I got my letter saying you have your membership has been taken off the records and you know, have a great life in hell. Uh, it didn't say that, but it hinted at that. Um, the bishop also got a letter and he went up to my husband at church and said, so I understand Renee's resigned her membership. And he came home from church and was like, what? And so I, my husband was hit with the same, um, you went behind my back that Katie Mount had where you, you, what are you doing? What else are you going to pull out from the hat and surprise me with? Is this just the beginning of you doing some, I mean, are we taking off and going to go live in France now? And you're going to leave me here? What, what else have you got planned that you're not telling me about? And he went to the bishop and asked for the name of a counselor. And the bishop um, gave him the name of this wonderful woman in Arizona. That's where we live primarily. And she is a member of the church, but she is a, a, a counselor who deals with a lot of Mormons. And she was able to talk him off the ledge and say to him, look, what is your marriage based on? Are you in love? What do you have in common? What are some things that you really love and enjoy about each other? And he was able to go, okay, I love her for who she is. We have six amazing children. We have 14 amazing grandchildren. We love to do weirdo things like buy a condo in Utah, you know, sporadically. And, you know, we really, our ADHD blends really well, you know, together. Uh, we're both kind of spontaneous, quick decision-making people. And he just, and, and a lot of it is also his personality. He's a very kind, obedient person. And so as obedient as he is to the church and their laws and doctrine, he is also obedient to the covenants that we made as a married couple and to the promises that we made to each other as being a husband and wife. So he's very unique. He's not, as much as he loves what the church gives him as a white male um, priesthood holder, he also doesn't get caught up in it. That's not who he is. Um, he has other successes in other ways that isn't his power play. So, and I've never had a husband that was like, you will be doing this, or I want dinner on the table at six o'clock or, you know, never has he been like that. So a lot of it is his personality and just his heart. He's just a good hearted, kind person. He's an Enneagram four that should explain everything right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. He's that's fascinating. 
Yeah, he's just serving me. He's helping me. That's his personality of, as a four. I don't know if you're familiar uh-huh. with Enneagrams, but he is just the, you know, if you looked up Enneagram four, it would have his picture right there. Who can I serve? Who can I help? Who can I be kind to today? So, you know, Rebecca, uh, it's really fascinating because, of course, you recently started yourself a podcast as well and uh, Mormonish. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of people that watch Mormonish that watch this channel. So I know we have a lot of o- audience overlap. And I know you've been getting a lot of pushback, of course, recently because of your newfound fame and people are starting to swing, sling arrows at you a little bit. I and- found you, Rebecca. <laughs> exactly. I know. I and- love it. And- <laughs> I, I just thought it'd be interesting, you know, you, of course, and I believe you've been a, a guest on Renee's program. Uh, yeah, yeah, well. yeah. And, she was one so, of the first other podcasts after yours that I went on. And I remember messaging you because I was pretty new and like, Steve, this person wants me to come on a podcast. What do I do? You know? <laughs> You'll be <laughs> so back. Starstruck, right? Yeah, exactly. Back, so, yeah. Yep. That's great. Yeah. And then I think it's also too, because, you know, Rebecca, you know, you, you, of course, you, we've, we've talked about your past and the, the very first interview was all your crazy temple experiences that you had and that was the first realization i thought you know i think i we, we had a chemistry there in that interview and i and and yeah. from the beginning i think we hit it off really well but i just thought as a female podcaster uh, uh what's it like to kind of hear renee's story and also just kind of maybe tie in some of your experiences with what renee's talking about as well yeah, I love Renee's story. And every time we talk or interact, I learn more about it. There are things that you just told me that I didn't know, but I so much admire um, the mixed faith marriage and the success of that. Because I had, like you said, I am getting a lot of interesting comments now. I think people see me on your show and may not be aware of you know, some of my other shows that I do or whatever. So I, I just recently added your channel onto featured channels on my channel. So now maybe there'll even be more crossover. But I got a I've been called a clown and a nut job, things like that. I love it. But I recently had a comment where this is a person called me a nut job. They said, it's pretty obvious when you talk about your kids that are faithful, because I do have children that are out and in. And they said, it's pretty obvious that your husband must have divorced you and taken those kids. And that's why they're faithful. And you're just living your life alone as a nut job. And I'm like, what an interesting point of view, because no, that is not true. Not true at all. You know, marriages have dynamics. My faithful children love me. I love them. I support them. You know, it all works. And so I feel sorry for people that have that kind of black and white view Like people that might think, Renee, why didn't your husband leave? Or, you know, things like that. That's not how it works. Not when people love each other. Not when, you know, there are shared interests and community. And I'm talking about kids, family, everything, you know. So it is interesting to see different points of view. And that's why I I appreciate all comments. And you probably do too, Renee, because you, you learn from those. You learn points of view. And then maybe you interact and you say, you know what? No, look at it this way. You know, my kids were raised by me and they were raised to be faithful Mormons because I'm still a Mormon, <laughs> a post-Mormon, but a Mormon. So it is very interesting. I've learned so much um, just about all different points of view, all different voices. And, and I feel like Renee's podcast is, is very special because she does gravitate toward women and women podcasters, women that are doing things, which sometimes are, are underrepresented for whatever reason. You know, I, I think that's changing. Do you feel that Renee? I think that is changing. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that's, um, I think there is a, a huge draw for historical data-based podcasts. 
and which I love. I mean, like I said, my poor husband, you know, he walks, he walks into the room and I've either got, you know, John Dillon, Mormonish, I've got, you know, RFM, I've got Bill Real. And he's like, you know, cause he's like, could you watch something else once in a while? And I'm like, well, I'm watching a documentary on cults. Does that count? You know, but you know, so, um, so I, I love information. I love learning. And so I get why the database podcasts are very popular. Um, but I do think the reason why women had quilting bees, um, we, you know, got together with uh, babysitting co-ops we need each other. Women need each other. And we don't have the ability to do coffee clutches anymore. Uh, we're all kind of spread out, especially in the ex-Mormon. And so we need some place where we can just shoot the bull, gripe about whatever was happening and come away going, well, that was the cheapest therapy session I've yeah. ever had. I just needed to get that off my chest. And that's what I'm hoping ours is. It's, I'm not here to teach you historical data. I'm here for women to share their stories and for other women to go, hey, that happened to me. I didn't realize that happened to anyone else. And that's all. That's And we're not yeah. in a church in the world in any other way than creating a sisterhood. Exactly. And I see that um, in the active Mormon space too. There are more women stepping up with podcasts and trying to build community where people can work things out and talk things out. And that's what you need. You just need that community. So I think there are some really strong um, female podcasters coming out in the active Mormon space too, which is amazing. And Steve has most of them on his show, don't you? <laughs> like Valerie and you know some of the yep. others. It's, it's great because there are things to be talked about, issues to be addressed. You can no longer look the other way. So let's talk. Let's talk it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I'll, I'll be curious to see over the next well, I could probably got about 20 more years, then I'm out of here. But over the next 20 years, I'd love to see if the people who um, are staying in the church full activity, but they are absolutely fed up with the entire system. And I know that a lot of their reason for staying is they think they can make a difference from the inside. Uh, and I'll be curious to see if that can happen with the patriarchy and the top-down mentality um, you know, I, I, I applaud them for being able to go every Sunday and sit and listen to talks, uh, with information that is so absolutely false that they can sit there and listen to that. Um, but it, are determined to stay active, but also fight against the system. And I applaud that. I don't know how they can do it. I'm, I really, my mind is, is I'm, I, I have a more militant um, stature. I, I just can't, uh, sit there and go, and then I'll be back next week. You know, that's just not for me. <laughs> you know, I see a lot of things changing though. I really do. For example, this last week, I went to hear one of my children give a talk in, in their ward and it was more of a young single adult ward and boy, it was way more relaxed than I remember. And I probably different because it was a singles ward, but the choir sang off cell phones, a Christian rock song, you know, they just all stood up there. It was incredible. Like, like it, it had a very nice relaxed spirit about it. 
Even the talks were very conversational. It wasn't your, hi, I'm here to do, you know. And and then the bishop, you know, said very casually. And of course, we stay after. There are treats. There are snacks. I'm like, this is, you know, very much like Christian churches I used to attend, where you have the, you know, coffee out in the foyer. And you, of course, they didn't have coffee there. But I thought this is very interesting. I had not been to a ward for probably about six or seven months, I think, since I went to a baptism um, last or a baby blessing last. But um it was very interesting to see that maybe maybe there is some sense that some things need to change yeah. to make people more comfortable and attracted to it because this was very different. Of course, I did have to put a sweater on, so there was still oh. that, but that's fine. <laughs> you know what? I, I you know gotten away with not doing it, you know. But I'm like, I don't want to make any of my kids uncomfortable, so of course I'll put a sweater on. That's totally fine, you know. But it was it was a very interesting experience for me. And and Steve, you'll have to tell me. How, what you see with your with your evangelical background, you can see that you know Russell Nelson is pushing towards a more evangelical mindset. We're sure. the Church of Jesus Christ. We follow Jesus Christ. Um, we're now gonna, as you said, if you if you watch BYU on Sunday mornings, they've got a rock band, and I'm like, yeah. when we what what is yeah. happening? They've got a new hymn book coming out. I'm dying to see how Jesusy that's going to be. I mean, the whole thing is turning over into a more evangelical Christian church. And I think I remember one time Oprah got a lot of flack for this, but I remember her saying, I think it's going to take a generation to die before you're going to see some changes. Yeah. And I think that might be true with the church. You've got the youth coming up saying, I'm not wearing my garments every day. Yeah. Um, I'm not doing this, bow my head and obey my husband. So they've changed that. Uh, there's probably going to be some changes in the word of wisdom. Um, and there's just, you know, eventually I really do believe that the LBGTQ issues are going to be addressed just like the blacks in the priesthood. So there's going to be an, a more evangelical um, veil thrown over the church. And I think it will, I think it will, but it's going to take our generation to die off and the exactly. you know, octogenarians and whatever they call the nineties and then nonagenarian name, even the name. I, I mean, I kind of track these things because there is this bent. It's funny. My, my parents are in assisted living and they're much older in their late eighties and they read the Leahona magazines like that. And they go, well, this is Christian. What is this? This, yeah. this does not, you know, they see it completely because they're still living in sort of a seventies and eighties church. And they, yes. the words they're talking about, what are these words they're using? So I kind of track this kind of thing. And, and I read the church news all the time. For example, they are now starting to say the church of Jesus Christ, pay attention to this. They are not saying of Latter-day Saints, my yeah. son on a mission uses the name Church of Jesus Christ when they announce themselves at the door. I just want to make they it clear are... to everybody that the Church of Jesus Christ and their copyrighted is based in Naga Hill, Pennsylvania. Yes. I've had dinner yes. with the president of that church and good friends, Josh Gailey. So just so you know, oh. this is the Church of Jesus Christ. That's what I wonder. What, how <laughs> yeah. I actually Where's had that question. I know the voices of the restoration. You know, there are right. many, and, and, but now they're starting, re, look in the, the church news. They're saying Church of Jesus Christ. Yep. You know, the temple is no longer the temple. It's house of the Lord. So they're going to these more, you know, just yeah. sort of common general. Now there was a big uh, young single adult youth conference that spanned about four weeks. There was a huge concert in Salt Lake. And my husband yes. and I <laughs> happened to be um, up in Salt Lake. We rode like the public transportation, like the train. It goes straight to downtown from where we are. So it's very convenient. It beat all the traffic. Anyway, we happened to be riding the train at the same time. 
thousands of kids from this concert had let out. So we were asking them about it. They're like, it was incredible. It was so Christian. It was all about Jesus. You know, it was one Republic. I mean, this was like an evangelical youth conference. I flat out asked them, did they have very much to do, you know, specifically with the church? No, no. It was all just Jesus, Bible quotes, a lot of music, a lot of phones in the air. I talked to some adults were, that were there. They said the same thing. It's very interesting to see what is attracting the kids today. And they were all so happy. They, I mean, we were packed in this train. It was a hilarious experience, actually. And they were just wonderful kids. And they had had a fabulous experience at what I could tell was like a Christian concert. Very interesting. Times are changing, like you said, Renee. <laughs> It is. It's pretty crazy. And also, I'm hearing that even some of the missionaries are wearing crosses now, which is really incredible to think. Yes. I don't want to name names, but yep. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And, you know, and you'd ask me, Renee, like, what are my perspective, you know, as an outsider evangelical? You know, what I find so fascinating is that I've had I've had this nice little dance that I've been doing with the church because I've never there's no official relationship that I have with the church, but there's kind of this unofficial thing I feel that's going on because I feel like you know, me going on Saints Unscripted, which is a unofficial church channel, uh, it's 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 not, you know, affiliated directly with the church, but let's just say more, look up more good foundation, okay? But uh, the thing is, is that I go on this youth program as an evangelical Christian, and basically it's kind of the stamp of approval saying, you can learn about the history of, of your church from Steve's channel to the youth from an evangelical. So that to me was that. And then you see with Jeff McCullough of uh, Hello Saints, the evangelical pastor who just moved to Utah a couple weeks ago. Um, and he, he's gotten really huge. And of course, he was featured in LDS Living Magazine and everything like that. Uh, and then you have David Boyce of 52 Churches in 52 Weeks. Uh, we've been, uh, I think the church is is is, is really um, wanting us to, I look at it this way. I think, look, I had the same guests on my program that John DeLynn has on, on his that, that Rebecca has. I have the same people. I have Sandra Tanner on. I have Dan Vogel. I have all the same people that come on. And and yet it's okay. It, I get the sense that this is a safe space for TBMs to watch and get all this information because I think it's really important. I, I always tell people, I said, you know, early on, I told, I told you know, this to my audience, I said, as a Latter-day Saint, it is your birthright to know the history of your church. And that's what I'm providing is trying to provide the history of your church. Now, so that's 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 to me is the relationship I feel that I'm having with church. It's not, nothing official, nothing like that, but it's a very good positive relationship. I can BYU professors come on, people from the church historians office come on. I I love the relationship that I've developed with the church. What is also fascinating is all the observations you made. Like on February seventh, the day that I flew in for Utah was the day they announced the the changes, you know, to the temple. And and I remember it was just everybody was talking. It was the talk because it's like it's all about Jesus, man. It's all about Jesus. And and Mormons were excited about this. Yeah. And so I do feel like the President Nelson is moving things in a different direction. I when when are we going to start seeing crosses in in church on church buildings? I've you know, seen some. I, I, mean, I, I just really. I just think that we're seeing this inevitable evolution. And then speaking like, okay, the whole LGBTQ thing, you know, I, I know Jacob Hansen and Jim Bennett had that big, huge debate with on my channel. That was quite quite a thing. And uh, and and I I think this is my prediction. I don't know if we're going to have gay temple ceilings for same sex couples in our lifetimes. I don't know if that will happen, mm -hmm. but I do think that the church is going to have to try to figure out. We need to have some kind of blessing ceremony that does acknowledge 
same-sex relationships in the church and allows them to stay in the church and also allows them to, to have relationships and have some kind of ceremony that acknowledges it. It's maybe not the same as going to a temple, but I do think that's something I can see happening in the next 10, 15 years. I, what, what do you, I'm sorry, I kind of ranted there, but I, I oh, want to get perspective on no, that. These are the big yeah, issues. This is what I, when I hear, I know, I know there was a thing, I uh, can't remember, there were two different versions of a talk and I believe it was given by Dallin Oaks, which by the way, Dallin Oaks was in the stake presidency in Naperville, Illinois. My dad was the stake clerk. Oh. And I went, to, I went to girls camp with his daughter, Jenny. We went to girls camp together. And, um, but he gave a version of a talk to a uh, mixed crowd. And then he gave a version of a talk to an LDS primary talk. And, and I believe that that's what you're seeing in the world. They want to present themselves as we love Jesus. We follow Jesus. Then you go to BYU and you see the new handbook that, uh, you know, that's been given where there's still no beards and the girls still have to dress as if they have garments, which I, I get that it's a church school. I get that. We don't want to walk around with, you know, crop tops and whatever, you know, booty shorts at a Christian school. I get it. Um, but it's like they want to still keep the people under their, you know, under their reign. But to the world, we want to appear as nuanced and we just love Jesus. You know, it's kind of like if you look at the clips on TikTok where they'll go through uh, like Mike Wallace is interviewing Gordon Hinckley and asks him, oh, I understand you didn't let the, the blacks have the priesthood. He goes, that was in the past. And then, and then you show the other clips that was in the past. We're going to look for the good. We're going to, we're not going to be negative. We're going to look for the good that was in the past. And that's such, that's such a, you know, a way of not acknowledging what was done. And I think that's what they're, that was in the past that we worshiped Joseph Smith, that we didn't have any pictures of Jesus in our church that, you know, there was nothing about Jesus in the, in our Deseret bookstore, unless it was with Joseph Smith. But now we still have the Swedish version of Jesus. We haven't quite progressed to the Hebrew version of Jesus. We're still letting, you know, Liz Lemon paint pictures of her neighbor and, you know, pictifying them as Jesus. And it's kind of, so we still have work to do, but um, which by the way, let me plug, if you want a picture of Jesus, go to Walter Rain. Uh, have you seen Walter, some of Walter Rain's portraits and his, his paintings? He is an artist. I think he lives in Salem, Oregon. And it's R-A-I-N-E. I have um, that. I don't know if you can see it or not. You see that picture? Take your camera. No, I should walk over here. Are they are they more of the dreamboat Jesus that you see? everywhere? No. He looks like a GQ supermodel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is what I love about Walter Rain. He doesn't uh, do that. Good. <laughs> yeah, this is one of uh, his pictures that I love. Oh, of, okay. You know? I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. But he has a picture of Jesus that I have in my home in Arizona, which he is very, he looks very disheveled. It looks yeah. very Hebrew person. Um, and it's beautiful. And so, you know, if we can just, I, I went to Deseret book to buy my husband something and, um, you know, see, I, I'm still a good wife. I went into Deseret books and I'm like, <laughs> I can do this, you know, don't say anything bad. And I couldn't find, I just wanted a picture for our master bedroom that would, that he would love that maybe had Jesus or something in it. And I was like, I'm not doing Swedish Jesus. This no. is full on dental work. Most beautiful white teeth you've ever seen. I'm not doing that, you know? Um, but anyway, so I do, you know, we just have to lose, we have to lose a few 
you know, Bednar is going to have to go. The entire presidency is going to have to go. If we can get Uchtdorf in there, there's maybe the beginning of a a more loving and truly honest church. I don't know. We'll see how much pressure he falls under. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to sit back and watch. Fascinating. Well, I, I this is really interesting. So so this is the thing. I, I just have to ask you: Are you do you still believe? like in God and Jesus and stuff like that? What would you, what, what would you say? Where's your faith at right now? Yeah. You know, I believe that uh, I kind of go with the Bart Ehrman version of Jesus. I believe that he existed, that he was a rabbi, that he was a teacher and that he was trying to change some of the Orthodox Jewish traditions. Uh, well, you know, and then you have to take into consideration the stories in the Bible and who wrote them and were they really accurate and, what was the goal and the context and the whole bit. But I do believe that he was a person that he existed. Um, I don't know, you know, when people talk about like, for example, I just heard someone say, we follow uh, someone in the church just made it. One of the uh, dignitaries made a comment. We follow the teachings of Jesus. And I'm like, which teachings are, is that? What? And that's a very ambiguous thing to say, which, you know, love thy neighbor. Okay, I'm good with that. You know, um, do unto others. I'm good with that. Um, I, I don't know if you follow the teachings of Jesus, where Jesus said, you know, the you know, I am within you. You don't need the temple anymore. I, if you have me, I, you know, as long as you carry me within you, I'm like, well, then we could we stop building temples on every street corner and maybe start using that money in other ways. So I don't know which teachings of Jesus, you know, they use. But I, I cannot find a organized religion to attend because there's still a lot of misogyny in a lot of the Christian religions, still a lot of LBGTQ. I, I did find a church in Arizona that I started attending. It's a, um, it is a Lutheran, I think, base, but it's a reformed, so they, they are LBGTQ accepting and uh, a women conducting and women participation. Uh, they just seem like a lot of really nice retired people in, a, <laughs> in Arizona. And I'll probably start, go back to them when we get back to Arizona. Um, I, I'm a little hesitant because I don't want to get, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, gun shy uh, to find a system. I don't want to get back into a system that I have to walk back out of. Um, but I, I don't, I have such great intuition. I've had so many great experiences that I feel was like, for example, uh, my my oldest daughter, uh, I just had the two boys and then I had, I had two boys, two girls, and then two boys. And so she's my first girl and I'm laying on the couch in the living room and I just had this very strong feeling, you need to go check on Haley. And I went back in the bathroom and she had she was, she was toddling between the bathtub and, you know, the floor and trying, you know, trying not to fall into the bath water, you know, and I, so I, you know, and I also have strong and Rebecca, you can tell me, is this just mother's intuition where she fell out of her high chair? And I thought she's not acting right. And I took her to the hospital and I said, I think she hit her head. She's not acting right. And they're like, Oh, mama, you're good. Just, go home. And so I took her home and then I took her back to emergency and I said, something's wrong. And they did a brain scan and she had bruised one side of her brain, but it healed and she was fine. But I've had 
experiences where I'm running on a trail and I get this thought, you need to call so-and-so. And there, so there, I have a strong intuition, but I don't have to associate that with a man exactly. uh, that's watching over me. Uh, so I don't know what I believe, but I do believe in some kind of higher power or maybe just uh, electric mm-hmm. you know, waves. I don't know which yeah. type. Human husband, connection. It sounds like connection. it's the whole human connection. I feel the very same way. Those experiences happen and you don't, you can attribute it to yourself and your connections with others, you know, which is wonderful. Yeah. As long as they're good, they're moral and and they're serving that. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's just a humanitarian connection out of love and concern. And, and Steve, you probably have this where you have a really good friend you've spent a lot of time with and you find each other's like, I was just going to say that, or I can't believe you brought that up. I was just going to tell you that. And so I feel like, you know, with Wi-Fi, you know, there's got to be some kind of electronic brain waves that are going through that are going boop, 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 you know, well, uh, uh, aliens. it could be aliens, right? Well, we all know that now. So, so anything's possible. <laughs> I have to share this crazy experience I had with the missionaries. So I was sharing them with this, this very unique Book of Mormon that that's worth quite a bit of money that was sent to me. And I was showing them that it's, it's the best replica ever made of the Book of Mormon. And, uh, but the, there's this uh, philanthropist to uh, this guy who's a pretty wealthy man, um, bought a hundred and there, there were 750 of these made and he bought 149 of them because he had an original book of Mormon and he took the 149 copies and had, had the publisher. sew in four original pages from the book of Mormon. Oh and God. so he sent this to me last year and he only gives these away. He doesn't sell them. And he, one of the reasons, and, and it's funny because in, in this one, it says a Bible, the page he sent was a Bible, a Bible, We've, we have got a Bible and there cannot be any more Bible. I'm sharing this with the missionaries. I said, listen to this. And I read the verse to them. Literally within 10 seconds, somebody comments on one of my videos, that verse, and it pops up on my phone. No context at all, other than that they just posted that video. And I just go to the missionaries and they said, look, look what just was posted on one of my videos. And I don't always get notifications when somebody posts something on my videos. And I, they're like, <laughs> you know, it's pretty crazy. What so yeah, when stuff like that happens uh, for me, that's God. That's just how I see it. Or Alexa. I don't know. You'd have to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that's true. Your phone could bring it up. Yeah. Um, I mean, my husband is so not techie at all. And he, I mean, he doesn't have a bunch of apps on his phone and, you know, I'm always happy to reset his password for him and stuff like that. And he is amazed at, he and I can be sitting on the couch and we can say, you know, something like, Hey, have you tried that new restaurant and such and such? And all of a sudden on Facebook restaurants in Arizona, you know, you're like, Oh, yikes, you know, but you know, whatever China, there you can someone have- watching us somewhere, but <laughs> somebody <don't> electronic, <laughs> I'm not planning any military takeovers. So I don't care if you're you've bugged my home, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I wanted to say, you know, we haven't really talked a whole lot about your podcast today, but actually I'm glad we talked a whole lot about Renee. But I, I just wanted to ask you a couple questions about your podcast. First of yeah. all, how how's it how's it been? How what 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 have been some of the things some, some takeaways that you've learned doing a podcast? Maybe about about yourself and also your guests, and maybe just name some of your favorite uh, guests that you've had on your program. Oh my gosh! You know the most beautiful thing about social media, and I, I am very defensive of social media. Um, I, I know there's a bad side. I understand the downside, but the good side is it brings people together 
from all over the world. And I have a, one of my favorite podcasts was by a mother, uh, Virginia, uh, um, and she, as she's back East, she has three children, if I remember correctly, all with disabilities and uh, two of them genetic. And then one of them uh, is more of a autism Asperger type of uh, thing. Um, but she, uh, her husband died, single mom, three, or was it four, three, I, you know, three children. And she, it would just, you know, because she was able to start a Facebook group with mothers of children that have the same disabilities that her children do, they were able to communicate. She is one of these women that knows her stuff. And so she was able to give out, this is the, it's what you need to ask your doctor. This is what you need to ask for. This is a treatment program you need to get your children into. And it, she just was so helpful. I have another mother, uh, child has a very rare disability and she was able to connect. So the when I interview mothers with children that, that are primary caregivers, as I was, um, to children with disabilities, it, it's a completely different vibe. And it's something that I think the church, again, uh, if you uh, if you have an ideal Mormon family, you have a hardworking husband, you have four obedient children, you have, you know, you're able to retire and serve a mission, everything in your life has fit the ladder, then the church works. But when you have a child that has autism, I have an autistic grandson, uh, a disability where, you know, I call it the mothers in the foyer meeting where uh, sensory issues, you have children that just don't fit. I have a grandson that has, you know, dis sensory disabilities, and we tried to put him in the Cub Scout program. And it was painful for him. He would literally, you know, go into Cub Scouts like this. These little boys are running around. He's just like, ah, I can't do this. And trying to take him to primary. Primary was just overload, just overload. And so where are those parents? Those parents are in the foyer. Those parents are forgotten because they don't fit what works well. And so I've had some of those mothers on. I had a mother uh, and her daughter on from Australia, which was funner than all get out. Both of them have had amazing experiences. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the mother went on a mission, was in a horrible car accident. Her husband was, uh, you know, they both survived, but they both had pretty critical injuries. And uh, the church was like, yeah, you can't get national health care because you're not, you know, you're in South Africa and you're not from South Africa. And, um, uh, and we're certainly not going to pay for your medical care. That's your responsibility as a missionary. So it really brought to light how these elder missionary programs work, how they have to buy their own medical insurance. And um, and I don't think people realize that, that if you're not financially able to, you know, buy an insurance policy, because, you know, um, Medicare is usually very state run. My parents were on Kaiser, which is the Northwest, California, Oregon, Washington only. They served a mission in New York. Um, they came home on a break because they were going to clean the New York temple. And so they came home back to Washington state to get medical care because my mom had had colon cancer and wasn't feeling very well. She actually checked out just fine. But my dad, they 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 checked him out, gave him just a, a physical and said, yeah, we're rushing you over to the hospital for triple bypass surgery. You're in the middle of heart failure. And what would have happened to them in New York? No medical insurance. 
all their medical insurance was, you know, relied on Kaiser, just things like that. And then her daughter uh, had a husband that died and the way she was treated after her husband died. These are the stories that I, I love telling that, that are out there. And, you know, just other women like you, Rebecca, just telling women, you know, this can work. You can have a good relationship with your children. You, you know, I have uh, five surviving children. I have one daughter that is active in the church and my other uh three boys are out. They left this, the minute that they let, got old enough to leave home and escape. And uh, and my daughter, you'll love this. Um, I probably shouldn't share her story. I, I won't share her story, but you know, there was some conflicting temple uh, rules that none of us really thought about. Again, because if you have an ideal family, her first husband was uh, killed in a car accident. She was sealed to him in the temple. And so when it came time for her to date, uh, people were like, well, who's going to date you? You're married to somebody else. And she was like, what? That it, you, don't, you don't hear that doctrine until it personally affects you. And so she has a strong love of Jesus. She has a strong love of God. And she's found a Christian church that um, she takes her children to. But it's, it's those, the voices I want to get out because I want other people to have light bulb moments where they go, well, I never thought about that. What if my 25 year old daughter lost her husband with two babies and nobody wants to marry her because they can't be sealed in the temple. Just like you were saying, Landon's son is like, but she's a good person and you're a good man and you could build a wonderful family together. So this doctrine is holding you back. And so that's the women's voices that I want to get out there to tell the women's stories of how the misogyny and the patriarchy damages. I mean, patriarchy and misogyny is hurting Landon's son because these women from young women's from the time they're 12 are being indoctrinated to be told you will marry in the temple. You will marry a return missionary. It doesn't matter if that return missionary is living in his, you know, parents' basement and only plays video games and doesn't know how to do, have a job and, you know, um, doesn't even have any life skills. As long as he's a return missionary, you have something in common, Spencer W. Kimball, the marriage will work. That's what they're taught from 12 on. And look what it's doing. You've got a generation of men who are fabulous, who can't find a, a, somebody to build a family with. So that's how it's hurting both men and women. Fascinating. And, and you know, I, uh, you, you're, it's a remarkable thing that you're doing. And I do think it is important that more women's voices are, are heard. Um, I'm, one of my proudest things that I've ever done was um, finding Rebecca and uh, giving her and then helping her build a platform. Um, and it's a real privilege to be able to do that. And, and, and I, I really feel that's one of my missions, you know, when early on, when the first six months of my channel, I was looking at my audience and according to YouTube at points, it said 90 to at 90% male to hundred percent male. And I thought, now it can't be hundred percent male because I have women commenting on, on the videos. Right. So it was kind of skewed, but it was highly male. And I've made a concerted effort almost from the beginning of my channel. When I saw that is I need to get more women on my program, and more women's voices. So that's why I got Katie Langston to come on. And then she was one of the, you know, she's a pastor, a Lutheran pastor. And this was early on, just in my channel only had like a couple hundred subscribers, but I was I like, I got to get women on my program. And yeah. so that's been my mission is to get, get like I said, all the voices. Cause I do think that 
whether it's the faithful or even in, in the post-Mormon world, males tend to dominate, uh, dominate. And, and, I, and I realize like, I don't want to be just another male Mormon podcaster. I, I, I am just, well, I'm very different and weird and all that kind of stuff, but I, but I, I, that's been one of my most important goals was to get more female voices on my program. Uh, so that's just kind of how I saw it, you know, cause I do think that sometimes, um, because you're male and I will grant that I have certain, I, just being an American white male, it grants me a lot of privileges that a lot of people don't have. I recognize that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a lot of men don't. And I think it's important that we do recognize that we are privileged and we also have to realize that, you know, it's really easy to get into our own little echo chambers, the good old boy network, and we just do our thing. And I used to be part of that network back in the day when I was involved in politics. Um, and, and and so it's easy to be even dismissive of women's voices when you're in that little silo that you're in. So I think it's also helped in my growth process as a human being to recognize, like, I look, I was, a, I was kind of a chauvinist growing up. You know, I, I was all those things too. I'll admit to that. Okay. But I feel that by, by ha- listening to women's voices and engaging women, I remember even being nervous when I first had my first female guests on. Like I had Sandra Tanner, she was going to come on, but I was like, you know, I got Rebecca Jensen and she's like a feminist scholar, Mennonite. And, and then I got Katie Langston coming on and I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I could even, how many, you know, that's, that's how insecure I was at the beginning. How do I talk to women? <laughs> I, right, exactly. You know, and the millennials scared me too. I was like, man, I don't know, you know, I might say the wrong thing and get canceled. Uh, I didn't know. But, <laughs> but I, I just really felt like, you know, this has been part of my journey too, is, is, is experiencing and hearing uh, women's voices and making friends, a lot of friends with females as well, like you, Renee and Rebecca. Uh, and I love, I don't think people understand um, <laughs> one of these days, maybe, maybe Rebecca, I'll have you and Tom on my show because Rebecca has the most amazing husband. He yeah. is so fun. And I was so pleased to meet him. He came up to me at Sunstone and was like, hi, Renee. And I was like, hi, whoever you are. <laughs> you know? yeah. And um, he is absolute kick in the pants. And I mean, and meeting Landon and meeting, uh, you know, Bill Real is the one who gave me my voice, really. I mean, and it was his it was his desire, as you, Steve, to have more women's voices out there. And um, so he's the one that said, hey, I'm looking for more women to do some female-based podcasts. And I auditioned and he accepted me onto his channel. And, and I mean, if it wasn't for him, I don't think I'd have a, you know, I'd be sitting in my bedroom talking to myself. And which I do, but uh, no, so, you know, uh, so, and, and his wife, he, his, I I got to meet her and she is amazing. And I'm going to have her on my show because, you know, I have a, a, what they call a, um, a cut, right? If you're, if you're in the motorcycle world, those leather vests that they wear, they, they're called cuts and they're usually filled with patches and stuff that say like, you know, what organization you belong to, if you're a a hell's angel or whatever, you know, whatever group you belong to. And I don't belong to a group, but I have one on there that says behind every successful man is a woman rolling her eyes. And um, so, you know, it's, it's like, you've got to have, I mean, what, what she has done to help Bill be the man that he is, I think needs to be talked about. And I want to hear her. And, and I think the world needs to hear her voice. And, you know, they have four kids and she's she's there supporting him and everything that she's doing. And she's the one who brought him into the church. And 
And, but she was also by his side when they left the church. And so there's all these women behind these men and I want to hear their stories. And someone said to me, and I think this is the, that maybe the lane I'm going to go down. I want to interview more men uh, because I want to hear their stories of their wives or their mothers. So that would still be, be a, she became visible, but tell me what your mother, like, you know, uh, gosh, I had Randy Bell on. I mean that he has such adoration and respect for his mother. He has such adoration and respect for uh, Mrs. Fender mm -hmm. and what she did for the company. So I think I need to just kind of lower my feminism a little bit and be willing to interview more men, but <laughs> let them talk about what these women have done for their lives. So I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's 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 not a bad idea. You know, you could still keep it women centric, but but also have men's voices on the program, too, which actually I think that's it's a good balance, too, because, see, we don't want to fall into our own silos either. Exactly. Yeah, I don't want to get, you know, too caught up in my feminism. Uh, but because I I love men, I have four sons that are amazing fathers amazing fathers, amazing uh, contributors to society. Uh, they're amazing humans. And I watch them with their children. I watch my husband with our children and grandchildren. I mean, I've been blessed with some really great men in my, my stepfather, an angel, absolute angel, you know, stepped in where my biological father had no interest in being involved at all. A wonderful man. Um, as I mentioned before, and I know I'm talking too much, but he was uh, diagnosed with COPD and uh, it ended up, you know, it, uh, he had cancer for a long time. He, he beat cancer, but the COPD was what took him, took him out. And it wasn't until he was in his, you know, late eighties, almost nineties that he admitted that he had been, you know, serving as the state clerk underneath President Oaks, has always served in some kind of a, he served a lot of clerical positions in the church because he was an accountant and it worked well with his bookkeeping and stuff. And, um, uh, but he did all these things, fought, quit smoking, quit drinking, went to priesthood, did his home teaching for probably 50 years and did not believe that the church was true did not believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet. He was English. He grew up, you know, in the church of England and, um, he, but he was, he loved his family and he loved his wife. My family's going to join the church. I'm going to join the church. And if I'm going to join the church, I'm going to be a good member of the church. They served three missions for the church. And he was not a believer until his late eighties, when he felt he had an impression that said the church is true. And he said, okay, you know, but he did it anyway. And so that's a man, that's a man to me. And that's a perfect example of a great man. And so I have so many wonderful men. Um, and I think that's also what gives me such a low tolerance for the, some of the patriarchy that I see is like, my husband would never do that when they say men are infallible. You know, these, these men are there. I know they're a prophet of God. They speak to Jesus and, but they're men, they're infallible. And I'm like, well, I'll tell you what, my husband wouldn't be setting up 13 shell companies because that's dishonest. So we've taken this infallibility to a complete criminal, you know, where's the bar for infallibility for these men? And so because I have so many good men in my family, I can look at these other men that are dishonest and go, you're a liar, you're a misogynist, and I don't want to have to listen to you anymore because I know what a real man looks like. And so I am, I, I'm Steve, I'm going to really want to hear more men who are 
just great people. Rebecca has one as well, and you're one as well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, I do have a, and, and Rebecca, I, I, if you have any final questions too, I want you to make sure we get this all in, but I did want to ask you just for a podcast question is, do you have a dream guest that you would like to book? Who's your dream guest? Like, what's that one person there? Like, oh, I'd love to talk to her. She's thinking. She's thinking. She's going, hmm, <laughs> so many. <laughs> Is it Oprah? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have, a, Steve, I have one that, that I think that the three of us should do. I'm trying to get Natasha Helfer on this one too. But I read a book last year called, are you ready for this? Ejaculate Responsibly. Okay. And the, the woman who wrote the book, Gabrielle, Blair, I want to say, uh, uh, Gabrielle, I'm sorry if I'm getting your last name wrong. She is a member of the church. She has six children. and But she is very strong on why is the responsibility for birth control put on women? Why is there no responsibility for birth control put on, on men? And her reason for, she's, she wrote this book because when they reversed Roe versus Wade, she went on a Twitter rant. And she just Twitter, 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 Twitter about women's health, how women, how birth control affects women's health, how easy it would be for men to control uh, the birth rate and how no research is being done for male birth control. And if you want to talk about abortion, you need to talk about births and unwanted births and how men could be, have more control over unwanted pregnancies. And so she's my like dream dream guest. I've emailed her. She lives in France. She's a mom. She's a blogger. You know, she uh, has a, a, a life. So, but that's my dream guest. And I, and Steve with, with Rebecca and her book review, and then you as a male, this would be a fabulous panel. Okay. To Gabrielle on, but um, yeah, there's things like that, that it's, uh, you know, I even have a, a, a acquaintance that when I said, oh, this is such an amazing book, you should read this book. And she wrote back as an indoctrinated water carrying uh, misogynist woman, she wrote back, well, my grandmother just said, keep your legs together. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's what I'm talking about. You know, oh, dear. things like that. Yeah. That have to be addressed. It's always the woman's responsibility to keep you men moral and clean. Right. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, for me, it doesn't work for me being a gay man. No, no. <laughs> and that's an unwanted pregnancies is not a concern for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, Rebecca, I mean, this was a pretty awesome episode. Was there anything else you wanted to talk with Renee about? It was an amazing episode. And I have to say that I, I think, Renee, that you should start to invite some men on the program to talk about uh, the women that mean something to them and just their own lives and how they support. Because I have to say, you know, I spent 55 years in the church. So I've experienced, of course, being a young woman in the 70s and the 80s and all that meant where you just, you know, I mean, some of the stories I tell people are like, what? But it happened to everyone back in that day. It just did. And then as you go on and you're adult in the church, you know, I've, I've had men come up in the hall when I'm talking to my other leaders and leadership, other women and shh, get to class, you know, things like that. It happens. It's fine. You just move past it. But I will say now being more involved in the post-Mormon world, um, 
with and and the nuanced Mormon world with podcasters that I interact with them. Um, I have never run into more respectful and helpful and supportive and wonderful people, the males in the post-Mormon podcasting world, and even the nuance, you know, and I could name a list of names. You, you all probably know who I'm talking about, but these people are so supportive. They text with me, they check on me, they give me ideas, they collaborate with me as an equal. I've never felt more seen and respected than when I stepped away from the more patriarchal system into this post-Mormon world with, Mm. with all of these wonderful podcasters. So, and I could go on at length about that. And and I could tell you examples of every one, a lot of them that you just mentioned that seriously, no more supportive people, Steve being, of course, maybe the first male podcaster that I interacted with. And that's why I say not all post-Mormon, but nuanced or, you know, wherever, just incredible individuals. So any of them would be amazing on your program, Renee. And I think you should branch out and start doing that. I think I would love to listen to some of their stories and and the women that meant something to them and what they do to support women, you know, because there is that disparity. We're still in this culture. And so they do, they boost up, they give us chances, they give us opportunities. And, you know, someday we return the favor, we give them opportunities. So it all works out. I think it's great. I agree. I agree hundred percent. Well, I think we had a wonderful conversation today, and I want to hear from our audience here. What did you think? Now, of course, many of you are, uh, you know, faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, uh, you know, of course, all y'all know all the voices are heard here on my channel. And I wanted to hear, what what do you think uh, about this conversation? Did it maybe give you a different perspective on things? Maybe a better understanding of people in the post-Mormon community? Maybe you're a little bit more sympathetic to what they have, and more empathetic after hearing their stories. I'd like to hear that. Or for those of you who Disagree with them? You let us know that too. That's fine. This is what this program's all about. <laughs> you can Renee, call us a clown <laughs> and a nut job. I just love that homonym. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, just so you know, I talked with your son, and you know who's the missionary. Yes, and... Steve. I, we have to tell everybody. My missionary son, who you know, I don't talk about tons because right. we have that. You know, he's asked me to be more private, but he and Steve have struck up a friendship. Yeah. Like he got transferred and I didn't know about it until Steve told me. What kind of world is that? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And and the thing is, is that, you know, one of the things he told me, he says, you know, can you just watch out for my mom? Because it's pretty rough out there in the in the world. And I really and you can just tell he loves his mom. And he said, and he even said, We've grown closer together since I started my mission. So I just want everybody to know out there that her son is I, I, I everybody, I want you to know, I got Rebecca's back. She's my girl. I appreciate her so much. You're so awesome. And I'm so proud to have you in my life and call you a friend. And I'll always be your friend, Renee. I mean, yeah, Renee and Rebecca. And Renee and Rebecca. <laughs> that, that's the thing. That's the beauty of the community is it does. It makes like uh, friendships that, you know, I watched your show, Steve, your, your, the one with Katie. I bought her book. I thought it was amazing. Um, and you, you know, you, you guys are like Hollywood. And then you go to an event like Sunstone and you connect with these real people and it's like no you're a friend it's yeah. it's just amazing yeah that that's so true yeah yeah and that's the key thing we you know we're just regular people it's weird when i went to sunstone this last trip to utah people would approach me like i was a celebrity and i'm like i'm just a dude i'm just a dude you know i'm not anything i'm no different than the person who was sitting there you know two years ago with his first book review looking like a hostage video was being filmed you know i'm still that same person yeah. and and it, it, it feels weird to me you know to for people to treat me and i'm like i'm just uh, i'm still the same person you know and that's why there was even somebody who came up to me a uh, 21 year old 
uh, BYU student came to me and was in, in, in at my meetup and wasn't, and, and he, I saw him come in. I thought, I think he's here to see me. I just had, you know, one of those little intuition things, but I saw him go sit at a table and he was eating dinner. I said, oh, I guess not. And then a half hour later, there he is standing up. He was so shy. He, yeah. he didn't want to approach me. And, and, and he's like, I was just so nervous. I, I almost left without saying something, but I want to tell you how much I love your program. Well, I talked to him for 15 minutes. Guess what? A few days later, we're, we spend the afternoon in Provo, uh, going to bookstores. Uh, I said, cause I told him, I said, listen, I said, cause he said, well, one of the reasons I didn't want to approach you is you, you were with all those important people. And I said, listen, I can talk to all the scholars and Mormon celebrities I want to, but I also want to be able to hear your voice too. And I'll be interviewing him tomorrow with his former missionary companion that they served in Poland. So he's also going to be a guest in my program. So that's how it works. That's folks. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my so gosh. That's, that's, that's the fun thing about this channel is I literally could, people that I just run into, somebody I, somebody recognized me at a Culver's here in Florida. Next thing you know, he's on my program. He gets 6,000 views, you know? So that's, that's what I love amazing. to do. And just give voice to people that are just regular folk, you know, just regular folk. I could I can book anybody I want, but I get more of a thrill out of having somebody that nobody's ever heard of and, and, and giving them a platform. That's to me is the most beautiful thing about it. I so. love that. And, you know, Steve, I'm glad you mentioned that. Rebecca, I don't know if you've had this happen, but I originally started out my podcast. It was uh, it was originally called Go Gray Dame. And that's still the title for like my website, because on Facebook and Instagram, when I decided to let my hair go gray, I was absolutely astounded at the responses that other women had gotten because they had let their hair go gray. And it was like, you're not coming to my wedding, mom, if you don't dye your hair, or my husband's going to leave me if I don't dye my hair. Or I had a stranger come up to me and say, you know, you'd look 10 years younger if you just dye your hair. And I was like, this cannot be happening. And so a lot of the women I had at the very beginning of my podcast were women who had let their hair go gray. Oh. And again, how they were just like, I don't care what you think. I'm not dying my hair anymore. And the comments were amazing. I was astounded how cruel people can be. And I was like, can you imagine going up to, you know, Anderson Cooper and going, you know, dude, you'd look about 10 years younger if you just dye your, you know, or, uh, you know, Bradley Cooper or um, George Clooney. Can you imagine going up to George Clooney and go, you know, 1980s Clooney, you'd look a lot younger if you just dye your hair. No, they look at these men and they're like, whoa, silver fox, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, I was, my husband and I were on our way to the movies and a strange lady came up to me with long, beautiful brown auburn hair and said, oh, are you Go Gray Dame? I follow you on Instagram. And I'm like, you do? Okay, because she didn't have gray hair. And she said, I let my hair go gray, completely grew it out. She had long hair. And she said, and a week later, I dyed it back because I, it just wasn't me. And I said, there you go. That's you okay. do you. If you don't yeah. like your hair gray, dye it again. But if you decide that you love it, it's your hair. Do what you want to. So it kind of tied in with the she became visible. But it is weird having strangers come up to you and you're like, I, I want to, I'm just going to go to the movies, I, you know, <laughs> you know, but yeah. it's a weird feeling. Yeah, I know. I love it. I love you it. Have that, um, Rebecca, have you had oh yeah, no, I was, I was at the uh, pride parade in Salt Lake and I was coming out of a porta potty and this couple <laughs> walked out, they go, you're Rebecca Bibliotech. I'm like, yeah, this may not be my finest moment, but I'm oh, like, washing my hands right now. Me <laughs> washing my hands. Well, this is great. Well, what a fun time we had today. And and like I told Rebecca, you know, you know, you have a good podcast like we did with Sarah Edmondson is when you try to 
finish it three times and you keep on talking exactly yeah, the same okay. thing. No. That's what I love about well, this. You either so. have to come back to Utah or you both have to come to Arizona and you know, that would be so fun. To, that would be amazing to do an yeah. in-person something. That would be incredible. Arizona's kind of in the middle, isn't it, Steve? Maybe we could all meet up there. Come to Arizona fun. in the winter. Yeah. And we'll have, wouldn't it be fun to do a, a, a wonderful panel, have a whole thriving. Sure. Yeah, that would be really fun. That sounds great. And of course, I think Rebecca and the crew might be making a little field trip to Florida later this year. So we are thinking of taking Mormonish to Florida. That's right. To visit Steve. Now we want to miss the hurricanes, I think. Yes. So as soon as that's over, because, you know, as Steve had discovered, there are some very cost-effective flights between, you know, Provo area to Florida and yep. also from Provo area to Arizona. Mm -hmm. yep. Yes. So it's, it's all very, very doable. All yeah, very, doable. very, very doable. So we can zip around and all see each other in person. It'll be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you to everybody who are contributors to this channel uh, for helping make this all of this possible. Um, I was able to raise $1,500 for my last trip to Utah and also was covering my trip to Texas, where I'm giving a presentation at the John Whitmer Historical Association uh, next month. And uh that, uh, that I'm very grateful to all the financial support that I've been getting from everybody. And I just want to remind you, don't forget to like and subscribe and hit the notification button for when a new episode comes out. Don't forget, mormonbookreviews.com is the merch store. We have our mugs. Uh, you got your hot chocolate mug? There you I go. got it. Here mugs. it is. We got Fine. hats. We I got t-shirts. I water. Yeah, you got your water. Well, you, water. Can drink, you can drink water out of these too, by the way, okay. folks. That's and right. then, uh, and just a reminder for those of you who would like to financially support the channel, there will be links for Patreon, PayPal, as well as Venmo, um, and of course, uh, uh, and of course, our website. So there's, it's all there. So either way, I remember just the most. Renee, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Rebecca, thanks for being an awesome co-host. Absolutely, anytime. And just remember, the most important thing is this, folks. Remember, all the voices of the restoration will be heard here on Mormon Book Reviews. Was that not funner than all get out? I have to say, Rebecca and Stephen, Rebecca has, we have had more fun since Sunstone. Sunstone was the end of July. Uh, Rebecca and I had had some, I'd had her on my show and, and uh, you know, there again with Steve, it was just great. But since then we've done so many great things with um, the whole Mormonish cast and um, just the get togethers, just fabulous people. It's just so fun. You know, um, Stephen brought up so many wonderful things. Um, I noticed when I've been watching all of the um, Tim Ballard things that he wears a cross. And I don't know if any of you experienced this. I was in the church since I was 12, as I mentioned. And I remember at my baptism, my aunt that was a member of the church and my cousin, they, they came for the baptism. And I went to put on my cross. And she said, no, 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 you can't wear that they don't let you wear crosses in the Mormon church. And I was like, why? She said, I don't know, but you can't wear that cross necklace. And I was like, okay. And so now I'm seeing, you know, Tim Ballard with his cross on. We talked about that. And um, we, we just, it was just a fun interview. I just appreciate Rebecca and Steven so much for having that. So I hope you enjoyed it. And we will be, I will be having more men on my show as, as I mentioned to Rebecca and Steve, and I, I would love to have them talk about their moms, their sisters, their daughters, just all of the women that have just helped them so much in their lives. We're going to incorporate that into the She Became Visible. So thanks for joining me today. Have a great day and don't forget to be visible. Bye-bye.